Welcome to the Garden of Glass podcast presented by the Hope Farm. I'm your host, Bentley Evans. Uh, today I have Will Jones, our general manager and wine director in the house. Um, and he's here to talk about wine, our wine program, what makes it super unique. Um, he was with us from the very beginning, an integral part of our team. Um, he knows more about wine than I know about just about anything. Um, so I'm excited for him to share some of his knowledge on the topic um, with all of you. So welcome, Will. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Excited. Um, so I guess, first off, tell us a little bit about kind of what got you into wine in the first place. So that's a long story. But <laughs> uh, I, a few, many years ago, I started working at a restaurant that had a very large Italian wine program. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't into wine prior. I was, uh, I did not enjoy it at all. Right. And so I started learning their list and exploring Italian wine and just found a passion for it. So I decided to move to Mobile, was going to work for a distribution company to further that passion and went a different route mm -hmm. and ended up exploring wine and other measures, ended up working in distribution, jumped into wine retail and then back into restaurants, which was <laughs> not expected by any means. And uh, it's just progressed from there. Like, quickly which right. is interesting which i guess is is good for any passion for sure um and now i just explore all different kinds of really cool crazy wines for the hope farm and <laughs> uh allow and it allows me to showcase those to each guest because there are a lot of wines that people are not familiar with right. that we have the opportunity to talk about and enjoy such as one that we'll talk about later orange wine uh yeah so it's uh it's it's fun and it, it it's really enjoyable to me Awesome, man. Yeah, I would encourage anybody that comes into the Hope Farm to ask for a Will Jones, come by their table, talk to them about wine, maybe give them, you know, a, a suggestion for their meal. He uh, he always makes it fun. So, um, so I guess, how did you learn all of this? Like, are you, you read a bunch of books? Is that kind of your primary knowledge source? Yes. So I'm a huge nerd. Uh, I mean, I think everybody that knows me knows that. Like, I am a huge nerd. So I read a lot of books. And I also... Uh, have been known to drink quite a bit of wine. Uh, <laughs> and that's another perk of this job is, or this this position, I wouldn't even call it a job because it's so much fun. Um, I get to taste a crazy amount of cool wines yeah. uh, per month, 50 to 100, you know, just something crazy along those numbers. Uh, and we have the opportunity to look and explore and uh, find wines that no one else is playing with yet and showcase producers no one's heard of. Uh, but mainly I just read a lot of books. I love it. I love it. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do is sit in on a wine tasting and like the wine cellar or wherever you are and just kind of pick your brain, get, get what you're tasting out of it, what you're smelling out of it. Um, and, and, you know, I have my favorites, some, some dark reds. Um, and I like the real funky stuff too, which is what you're all about. So oh, yeah. we, we vibe really well there. Um, all right. Well, that leads me into, you know, what makes our wine program so unique when it compared to other people in the, in the, industry as a whole, but really in our region and, and area down here. So our, our wine list is really unique. So we cover uh, a massive spectrum of wine. One thing, though, that I would like to point out about our list that has been the focus from day one is the sustainability option uh, or the offering of what we have that is sustainable. If you notice on our list when you come in, it has a leaf, a little hope farm sprout right. uh, next to a bunch of wine. I mean, 340 different wines or so have the sprout next to it. And these are all wines that fall into a handful of categories. These categories range from sustainable wines to natural wines to organic wines to biodynamic. Each of them or each of those categories are completely different. Uh, but we really wanted to focus on supporting people who care about what they're making and that they're 
also in some cases creating an environment for their for these vineyards to uh, prosper for years and years and years right. in comparison to the mass production that's become average. Uh, so that's been a huge focus of our menu. Yeah, I think that's something that we've always seen eye to eye about is sustainability. I know that, you know, at the Hope Farm as a whole, trying to limit our carbon footprint wherever we can, our to-go boxes, you know, it's it's difficult, but we we strive everywhere we can to, to do it. Um, even on the farm, you know, just making sure we're not spraying any any bad stuff. Um, obviously, the hydroponics allows us to uh, grow things without any pesticides and in and, and the best way possible. So um, I like that we're carrying that through our wine program and beyond that. And it's a, it's every day we're challenged that we're trying to, you know, continuously get better at. So, um, so, all right, when we're talking about food pairings, I know this is something you like and enjoy. Um, how is it that a wine, like a grape is able to pair so well with a type of food and it, the marriage, I mean, it makes, it makes the whole experience different and better for, for both the food and the wine. Like why, why is that the case? So the easiest way to explain this is acidity. Uh, I read this in a book a very long time and or a long time ago, and it was it just opened up my eyes to making it so much easier to pair, whether I'm in a restaurant or at home or out at a party or you know just enjoying myself. Yeah. Um, depending on the acidity of the wine, you can figure out and the tannins and such, but the acidity is the biggest inter- the biggest factor. Mm-hmm. Um, you can decide what to pair with what. So for example, uh, something with high heat, you're going to traditionally go away from acidity and go to the, the fattier aspects of wine, such as sugar. Okay. So I would do like a slightly sweeter uh, German Riesling with a Szechuan dish, or which is a, a traditional pairing. That's nothing new, cool. but it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, also, I would do something like, uh, I love Chablis. So I would do a super high acid Chablis right. with a fish dish. It's very traditional, but it if it works, why change it, you know? And yeah. you have so many different great examples of Chablis, so you can mix it up and match it to what the accompaniments for that dish is. Yeah. For example, Le Clos, uh, which is a Grand Cru in Chablis, is traditionally super high acid, linear, saline, mineral-driven in comparison to Mont Mon, which is a Premier Cru across the uh, river in Chablis. Okay. And that is fattier. Uh, it is a little bit richer and riper in style. So I might pair that with a chicken dish that has a cream sauce, uh, right. you know, or a fish dish with a cream sauce right. because you have a little bit of that texture that gotcha. highlights everything. Gotcha. Yeah. So you talk about all these wide, these great varietals that like sometimes like before I knew you, I did not hear about any of these. They're all these different ones that, you know, I know like the Pinot Noirs, the, the, the Chardonnays, the, the Cabernet Sauvignon, but these, these exotic ones, I say, um, you know, I guess, the idea is to educate people that they come to you and they say, look, I traditionally like Pinot Noirs. What's another grape varietal that I would, you know, lean towards that could, you know, expand my palate or my interest in wine or whatnot. So I know that's part of what we're doing here too. So what would you say about that? Like what's the cool part about being able to like show people new, new grape varietals? Okay. So I really love this part. So (laughs) I, uh, so everybody has something that they really enjoy and if they're, they find a wine, such as you said, Pinot Noir, that they really enjoy Pinot Noir, but they don't know how to bridge that gap into finding other wines that they really, really like, yeah. or they may like, right. uh, you can find very comparable, especially in Italy. Goodness gracious. Like you have so many different wines that are comparable to Pinot Noir in Italy. For example, we have uh, the Piedra Dolce at Neroso on our menu. It is Norello Mascalese is a great bridal. This is volcanic soil, uh, Italian wine, higher acid, but it is 
so light and borderline ethereal and it is uh really it's just super drinkable yeah. but if somebody likes pinot noir go for it another one that i would go to this is one of our house favorites the not cool baga oh yeah so this is portugal yeah, uh it comes in a liter bottle so that's even better <laughs> uh, a little bit more to drink and uh it is baga which is traditionally this really really dark grape and they're making it in a style similar to beaujolais uh which is carbonic maceration so it's much lighter fruit driven it honestly is very 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 similar to a california pinot noir gotcha. and not many people drink portuguese still wines gotcha gotcha very interesting uh, this is all uh, you're a wealth of knowledge I mean, when you're telling me you're talking to me i'm like yeah 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 sounds great but a lot of the times i have no idea what you're saying so i have to get you to clarify a little more uh on a lot of those things but it's it's always fun to like learn something new from you um so i wanted to dive into kind of a little bit more nerdy aspects of things as if you haven't already gotten there. Um, but the, um, the two things that, that I kind of wanted to talk about was the, and you can per, correct my pronounced pronunciation on this, but terroir and the, and is that correct? Yeah, terroir. And biodynamics. So I wanted to talk about both of those things. And I think, you know, what you just touched on is kind of these different varietals, how they kind of mimic a Pinot Noir or whatever. Is that have to do with the, you know, where they're grown, the altitude, the climate, the soil, those types of things, or, you know, what are the different factors there that play into, you know, them kind of being similar to each other? Well, so it's like a yes and no scenario. So, um, there's a lot of, a lot of answers. <laughs> so, uh, so terroir, for example, is one thing that I think that people do with wine too often is they overcomplicate it. Mm. So wine is something that's just fun and drinkable. It's like water. Like you can have 50 different kinds of water and in the end of the day, you're having water. Right. So find wine that you enjoy and just drink it and don't overthink it. I like like it. that is the biggest thing. <laughs> it's like people come in here and they go through our list and they're like, what should I drink? And I'm like, well, what are you feeling today? You know, right, like right. I, last time you had this, this time you should try this. You know, it's a little bit different each time. Um, and that's the same thing with great varietals and their comparison to others. Uh, the, the big thing, I guess, as far as terroir is concerned is just, or for me, is seeing a proper representation of the area. Uh, so, which is a, a better term for that is typicity. Right. So your terroir, and this is a hugely controversial topic, by the way, and I think you right. already know that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, a lot of people argue that your terroir does not have, or your soils do not have uh, a, a direct impact on the on the wine that's being produced. I personally disagree with that completely. Yeah. Uh, and we'll talk about that later with biodynamics. But uh, I think that your soil directly affects and your environment which is the idea of terroir mm -hmm. directly affects the outcome of the wine that you're producing you can produce the same wine in two different areas in burgundy side by side and they're completely different vinification methods right. with the same exact terroir technically or not the same but very comparable terroir because obviously your soil type is going to differ from this place to 500 yards away um but they're very comparable terroirs and uh, the wines are completely different due to their vinification methods. Gotcha. But back to see, this is where I get, I go off on tangents. So <laughs> back to the question you asked. So yeah. um, it's just a lot of, there are so many different grape varietals and you can find so many that are comparable to the ones that you're uh, familiar with that you can look at, like, for example, the Canary Islands, you can find wines there that are red wines that are super comparable to your, uh, Etna Rosso's and you can find wines there that are comparable to your uh, Santa Rita Hills Pinots mm -hmm. you know it's just it depends on what you're looking for if that makes yeah sense. for sure so like how so whenever the, the winemaking process does the winemaking process 
affect the the terroir of the or or is it kind of the opposite like or 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 is it completely separate okay so this is again another controversial topic because some winemakers believe that the terroir actually follows into the vinification methods okay i uh think that it's up to them to make that decision uh because i don't make the wine uh but i personally view terroir as the area in which the wine is made and the impact of that on the final result um but once those wines get into a um into a winery and they start vinifying these wines it's entirely up to the winemaker to adjust and measure that wine and make it into what it is unless they're doing completely natural wines and then in my opinion at that point it is a definition of terroir because they're using natural vinification methods to produce a product that would have created naturally right so there's no basically they're just letting it do its thing completely yeah yeah that's awesome i agree yeah all right, Will, tell us a little bit about this cocktail you've made for this episode. I know we have a, a wine-based episode, so we've chosen a wine-based cocktail. Yeah, so for this week's cocktail, we are showcasing one that we just created. It is called the Farmhouse Refresher, and we are using Genevieve's basil from the hydroponics on the back of the property with uh, Mata Blanco Vermouth. It is a textural Blanco Vermouth out of Spain. Also, we have Coqui Americano in this. It has quinine, which adds a slight bitterness, which is really enjoyable to have high contrast with the cucumber strip that comes in the cocktail later and the Genovese basil. We mix all that together in a mixing glass with ice and then strain it over a large cube in a Collins glass. You can use any glass of your preference. This is just our choice for the day. And then we're topping that off with a sparkling water to keep it light, bright, refreshing, low alcohol. One dash of ang- or orange bitters, and then we are garnishing it with a cucumber strip and an expressed uh, cluster of Genovese basil for the aromatics. Nice. It is delicious. It's definitely a porch pounder. Um, so you said quinine. What is that? Quinine is uh, a derivative of quincona bark. Okay. Um, it is similar to, or it is the ingredient that adds the bittering character of tonics. Gotcha. So most people are familiar with that. It is a digestive. It helps with digestion. Um uh, and it's awesome to add high contrast and select cocktails, such as using one of my favorite cocktails is from Kimball House. Mm-hmm. It's a green chartreuse uh, tonic. And nice. so they use uh, genipee with green chartreuse and then tonic to add that bittering agent. And it has, it's awesome. Nice. But yeah. So that, that's the idea behind this. Well, awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> so I was reading a book recently. Um, it's called The Science of Wine. Um, and from wine to glass. And it was talking about kind of the science aspect of wine and how science could be seen as a tool for wine, but it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, it, it, there's like a, 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 po- a point where if what science is, is too involved in the wine process, then it kind of messes with it too much and it kind of get, gets kind of muddy, I guess. Um, what are your thoughts processes on getting, you know, science being too involved in wine as opposed to, you know, the biodynamic side of things where it's just like, let, let nature do, do what it does type thing. So I'm a huge advocate for biodynamics. Uh, so I may have a biased opinion on this, obviously. Um, I feel like we should just allow the, we should do our job. If I were a winemaker, I would do my job to give a proper representation of those grapes Mm -hmm. in comparison to using methods such as reverse osmosis, which is described in this book that you're referring to, um, where they are altering the wine dramatically to either increase the alcohol level or 
add or to remove the water from it to increase alcohol level to remove alcohol to decrease alcohol level right. i mean you're completely adjusting the wine um there are reasons behind this for example uh we were talking about terroir so late in a right before you harvest it may rain and if it were to rain right before harvest those grapes are going to swell a little bit right. because of the additional water that they just took uh so some winemakers uh I'm not gonna say who but some winemakers in the past have been have used reverse osmosis to remove that additional water to create a wine that they would have wanted in comparison to the wine that, that nature gave them right and so you're, you're not about that i'm not at all <laughs> so biodynamics i know i've read a little bit about it it's kind of got this like quasi religious overtone to it um but you know like planting or, 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 uh, you know, applying these, these preparations that are specific to biodynamics and the alignment with the planets and the summer solstice and all of this stuff. That's like very (laughs) non-scientific. So like, tell me a little bit about kind of how these biodynamic producers, um, produce this wine and like their thought processes behind it. So what they're technically doing, so this is all, well, it's not all, but it's largely based off of Rudolf Steiner, who was um, an Austrian, um, there was a term for him. He was an Austrian. Obi, we need you to look that up. Yeah, he, he was he's from Austria. Yeah. Uh, and he, uh, he's an Austrian philosopher. And he um, had these very set principles of, this is how we should make this wine, and mm-hmm. we should... Um, use what nature gave us in a sense to in turn alter um, what we're doing slightly. Uh, But it's quite literally just allowing the vineyard to do its thing and using what's around you as your, not pesticides, but as inhibitors uh, to stop mold, to uh, allow grapes to grow quicker, to uh, kill or to not kill, but to ward off unhealthy pesticides or unhealthy parasites i apologize um i agree with it largely yeah. uh, nowadays you don't have to prepare these preparations yourself there are companies that make them for you yeah uh people like mesar for example out of uh oregon who is one of the largest biodynamic winemakers in the world they make all of theirs pretty much yeah. uh, but and they also have the largest vineyards in oregon that are biodynamic um but the whole idea behind it is just allowing nature to do its thing and not adding uh, additional chemicals that are laboratory. Right. Made. Just seeing like the whole system as like or the, the soil and everything is like a whole entire ecosystem itself and just letting it kind of do its thing. Oh, exactly. just feeding that, feeding the things that are that are growing in there and that are living and, and doing what they're meant to do. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, yeah. and exactly. And so uh, in the book that you're referring to, The Science of Wine, it uh, it has a huge section on rebuilding topsoil Mm -hmm. uh, because topsoil is just going to keep washing away, washing away, washing away whenever you're uh, plowing it. And all of these nutrients need to keep building back up. So whenever you're doing a a biodynamic vineyard, you have all of these different um, plants, I guess you would just say, Mm -hmm. all these different plants that are growing in the vineyard instead of seeing these completely bare vineyards uh, from conventional winemaking. And you have animals in the vineyard that are... uh, for lack of a better term, they are fertilizing. fertilizing. Yeah. yeah, that's a good term. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it just keeps breaking down, and the plants, they'll they'll grow and they'll die. Right. Grow and die, grow and die, and it just keeps rebuilding that soil. Right, and like in a vineyard, there's no crop rotation. So, like, they 
the the whole aspect of I know that they they in biodynamics they're able to like spray certain things to help with fungal disease. I think it's like copper based stuff and then like some sulfur powder or something like that. And I guess the reason for that is because, like you said, in traditional they don't have these cover crops that are that are coming in and, and giving the soil back its nutrients. It's kind of year after year they're growing in their own excrements, and so they have to you know fight against all these things. And so I guess. Um, using those but those aren't necessarily like bad chemicals per se the copper treatments and things like that that they're spraying on this stuff in proper measures they're not um because plants technically need them to grow if you put too much in a vineyard it's going to have a detrimental effect obviously or if your plants don't have enough gotcha uh but i mean if in safe measures they're completely helpful cool cool so biodynamics and organic what is the difference if there is any Oh, there's a difference. So uh, organic, you can use a select amount of chemicals in your vineyards, mm-hmm. and you uh, don't have to do a lot of the uh, the basics of biodynamics. Uh, also, you don't technically have to – I don't believe you have to have uh, cover crops in a uh, in an organic vineyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a biodynamic vineyard, they're more often than not you're going to have them because otherwise you would not be able to survive because right. you're not rebuilding that top Long-term, soil. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the whole idea of biodynamics is – long-term results right because a lot of our wines nowadays um i mean there's a huge focus reshift right now in the industry but the large majority of wines that you see in your grocery store or in a standard retail store they are um they're they're taking away from the soil and they're not adding anything back so there's no longevity right uh they're gonna eventually they're gonna leach that soil of all of its nutrients and they're gonna have to find somewhere else to go mm-hmm. uh while biodynamics they are ensuring future success gotcha so you think like the reason that more people i guess i don't you tell me are more people they're shifting towards biodynamic or is it still kind of like this smaller mm-hmm. portion of like the the wine industry as a whole and why do you think that is? Is it because of the yield of the crop? Is it because of, you know, the extra hours that it takes out in the field to work? You know, what, what do you, what, what's the reason? So a few things. Uh, the, I think that what I've seen universally is there's a major shift from the current generations to understanding what they're drinking, eating, consuming, wearing, uh, yeah. what they're supporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they want to support people who care or uh, the large majority of people I know do. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no reason not to. I think that um, there are still people, obviously, like older generations that don't really care, and they're drinking these wines that are massively produced because they are wines that they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also, uh, touching on something you said previously, biodynamic vineyards do produce significantly less wine in comparison to a conventional vineyard because that whole idea of a conventional vineyard is to produce as much as you can from Mm -hmm. this lot each year sell that off to make your money right in comparison to biodynamics they're like hey let's make this wine right let's make sure that it is a super high quality product and we're creating something that's awesome and uh let's see what happens so are are they putting biodynamically produced on the on the labels like how are people if people wanted to get into drinking biodynamically produced wine and supporting that whole movement how can they do it in like a grocery store? You go up to the bottle of wine. Is it on the label? Is it, you got to do some Google, Google searching? Like what's the best way to, to find out, you know, which wines are biodynamically produced? The easiest way to find out is to look for a term. It says Demeter certified, D-E-M-E-T-E-R certified. Okay. The only problem with this is that Demeter certification costs a ton of money. Mm. Uh, so a lot of people are biodynamic 
they're creating wines in a biodynamic fashion, but they don't have the financials or they don't feel like putting in the financial, uh, they don't feel like putting in the money to pay for the certification, even though they're already doing everything. It's like the organic certification. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So literally just find a, uh, what I would suggest is find some, a group of wines or one read, mm-hmm. educate yourself and find a group of wines that you really enjoy and then start reading up on each of them right. and finding out the hidden secrets. Right. So, what behind like what are their vinification methods? Uh, what is the difference between Mayomi and Maysara? Right. Uh, you know they're so different. Uh, I mean, obviously they're different areas, but mm-hmm. like your or a better example, what's the difference between Mayomi and Liquid Farm? Right. Uh, they're you know they're both making California wine, uh, but you know why did they taste so different? Yeah. Why is, why does Liquid Farm taste different every vintage, and why does Mayomi taste the same? Right. That should be a question everybody asks themselves. Very cool. So, so when you're, when you're drinking this wine, can you, as you know, you're obviously you have a developed palate way, way more than mine. Can you tell a difference pretty immediately whether or not a wine is produced biodynamically as opposed to, you know, conventional? Well, there are key indicators, obviously. Uh, I don't think that you could say like, yes, I can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be like going to the grocery store and buying organic food in comparison to a piece of broccoli that's not organic. Sure. It's going to be fairly hard to tell the difference right. um, unless you look at the food and say, wow, this is really, really underripe. They obviously uh, grew this in a, in a greenhouse and then flashed it with some heat to put <laughs> some color to it, right. uh, you know, which is horrible in my opinion uh so feed your body proper stuff for sure uh, but a lot of key indicators from wine that i feel like that comes out of i don't want to pick on california but that comes out of california specifically that is conventionally produced is it's uh super ripe mm-hmm. and you know that's a not a problem but a trend that california shifted to in the late 80s uh, but now a lot of those wines are coming out and they're super ripe. And my biggest indicator, does it taste the same every vintage? Because if I taste six vintages of a wine and every single vintage tastes the same and they're like six years apart um, and they still taste the same, I'm like, oh no. Something's, something's a little fishy. Yeah, yeah. Should I be drinking this? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so wine and health. So people, you know, there's, there's these things out here that if you drink wine and it, it'll reduce your, your likelihood of having a heart attack or, you know, you shouldn't drink wine because it's alcohol and alcohols are just bad for you across the board. Is wine healthy for you and how often should you drink it, Will? Okay, so I didn't go to school for this. So, uh, I mean, this is my personal opinion. I would like to start with That's that. That's uh, But uh, I think that drinking wine in proper measures can be extremely healthy for you. Uh, it has antioxidants that are healthy for you. Wine has um, polyphenols, which are really, really great for your blood vessels, uh, for proper blood flow. Uh, and we can talk about polyphenols if y'all come in and hang out with me because I can nerd out hardcore. <laughs> uh, but uh, in proper measures, I think that it is very healthy for you. Now, if you go drink five bottles a day, sure. then that's a completely different scenario. Uh, but a glass or two each night, like there's nothing wrong with that. It's all about moderation. Exactly, yeah. Well, dude, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Um, is there, you know, anything else that you kind of want the, the listener to know about kind of, you know, what we're doing here, kind of the future of the Ho Farm as it pertains to like our wine program and, um, you know, maybe some – goals we have whether it be events or you know things just to promote wine further and and kind of change the culture a little bit in the area or or i guess enhance the culture a little bit and um you know just just kind of make make things fun what would you uh have to say for that 
I would suggest coming in and tasting through our wines. Uh, I mean, we have one of the coolest, I'm not saying this because I help with it, but <laughs> we have one of the coolest wine lists in the state for sure. Uh, we're not, it's not only big, but it's thoughtful. Right. And that's a big thing. Uh, like we don't, we don't support people who are just making wine to make wine. We support people who are making wine with a passion. Uh, and we have multiple back vintages. If you want to taste a Riesling from 03, we can go to that. Or if you want to taste a current vintage Riesling from Seneca Lake on our By the Glass list, let's go for it out of New York. Um, we do wine flights every week, so it gives you a way to taste through four different wines every week and uh, compare them. This past week we did Loire Valley. Yeah. Uh, so you got to taste four different wines from Loire that were really cool and fun. Um also, we do a high-end flight every month that are really, really small allocated wines, and I personally nerd out about them. So if you want to come in and try wines that probably most people won't ever see, and you just want to have like two and a half ounces of each, we offer that. That's awesome. Uh, so I would just say come in, ask for maybe a suggestion on the list because yeah. we have a big list, or just look through it and find something that you find cool and understand that our entire mentality here is no pretension. Right. So we're not going to judge you for asking a question. We actually suggest to do that. I love it, man. Yeah. Make people feel comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's all about that experiential side. That's what the fun part about like the hope farm in general, just kind of everything we're doing here. It's like, it's, it's an experience. And so it, that flows into our wine program and it's enhanced by the wine you're drinking when you're here and all the other fun things that we got going on. So, well, awesome, man. All right. So I have another last little segment here. It's the rapid fire. <laughs> there it is all right i'm gonna ask you five questions this or that and just gotta just shoot off the first one that comes to mind all right so standard or magnum i would for sure go standard micro oxidation is life and so i think that you get to see a massive difference in the wine as a short term short term result i have very little patience so i don't really like waiting to see what happens all right all right fair enough old world versus new world definitely old old world for sure all right and when I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, but I really want people to know the difference between what is old world and what is new world. What's the difference? The easiest way, I mean, there it's, I mean, there are a handful of different areas that fall within old world and new world, but the easiest way to think about it is, uh, say for example, Europe in comparison to the U S uh, that's a quick answer. Gotcha. Cool. Orange wine or rosé? Definitely orange wine. Uh, we support a lot of orange wine here and, uh, since we've been open, I will go ahead and say, since we've been open, the list of orange wine available in Alabama has changed dramatically. I love it. It's funky, man. Exactly. Yeah. Champagne or pet nat? I love a pet nat, but I'm definitely saying champagne. I love a high acid champagne. Like popping bottles. I feel yeah, exactly. All right. Arm day or leg day? Oh, 100% arm day, dude. <laughs> Let's yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> I, that, that was today. <laughs> well, look, man, um, it was a pleasure to have you here. Um, we covered a lot. I thought it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I learned a lot from you as always. Hopefully, uh, everybody kind of got some, some good snippets they can take to the grocery store and support some biodynamic wines. Um, but yeah, dude, uh, I look forward to doing this again it, soon. It was a ton of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, for sure. Hey.